DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, presents What Am I to Do? The Discernment of God's Will in Everyday Decisions with Father Timothy Gallagher. Father Gallagher was ordained in 1979 as a member of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. He obtained his doctorate from the Gregorian University, and he has dedicated many years to an extensive ministry of retreats, spiritual direction, and teaching about the spiritual life. Father Gallagher is the author of seven books published by the Crossroad Publishing Company on the spiritual teaching of St. Ignatius of Loyola and the life of Venerable Bruno Lanteri, founder of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. Father Gallagher is featured on the EWTN series, Living the Discerning Life. What am I to do? The discernment of God's will in everyday decisions with Father Timothy Gallagher. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome, Father Gallagher. Thank you, Chris. We've been discussing the three modes of discernment, and when we last spoke, we were introduced to a woman named Jessica, who had experienced her discernment of her religious vocation. You used it as an example of the second mode. Yes, she. Uh, I mentioned she was an organist, so she spoke in terms of musical metaphors and repeatedly used, as we spoke, the um, image of being drawn by a magnet and movements in a symphony. But what she was speaking about was was an attraction of the heart, which is the way we're describing St. Ignatius's second mode of discernment. That is that he learned by reviewing his own experience attentively and also the experience of people who came to him for spiritual guidance, that sometimes God answers the question of which choice he wills for us by giving us a consistent attraction toward one of the options whenever our hearts experience experience spiritual consolation when we're joyful in the Lord and feel the warmth and the the closeness of the Lord, his love, his peace in our hearts. And that's, I think, what I was hearing as Jessica described her vocational discernment, really I'd say beyond any doubt, that consistently uh, she described sitting in a classroom looking out at the church steeple or being in church for the various, for mass or other functions, or even being at a dance and enjoying herself. But constantly there was something in her heart that was pulling toward religious life until the point came when she knew beyond any doubt that this is what God wanted for her. Uh, So that the second mode of discernment, like the first, also brings a person to a point of complete clarity, of full clarity about the, the choice that God wants. But in this case, it happens over time and through a pattern of consistent attraction in time of spiritual consolation. Now, I think it might be helpful if any of us is wondering if God is calling me to discern according to the second mode of discernment, to run through a series of things to consider, various questions to consider, if that is in fact the case. Obviously, here, as in any discernment, we always need to explore and see whether our hearts have the disposition that Ignatius sees as prerequisite for discerning God's will. Whatever you want, Lord. If we go back to an earlier example we used, Brian and Lisa married their third children just born, third child just born, and Brian beginning to wonder whether God is calling him out of finance and into the medical profession to serve others more directly as a doctor. And he and Lisa are in a process of discernment to seek from the Lord his will. Does God want him to stay in his career in finance, or is God calling him into the new career of medicine? With, with all that that will entail, the years of study, 
the demands it will make on the family, the new form of service, and, and all that goes with that. The first thing that Brian and Lisa need to beg of the Lord is the disposition of heart. Whatever you want, Lord. If you want me to stay in finance, I'm ready to say yes to that. If you want me to move into medicine, with all that that will involve, we're ready to say yes to that. Then Brian and Lisa, or any of us in this situation, would want to ask whether we're using the spiritual means. These are all the things that we spent time going over in earlier conversations, but now the the reason for all of that point, these are the tools that we need now to Uh go through the discernment. So are they praying? Are they getting to know Jesus through the scriptures? Are they speaking with a person of spiritual competence and wisdom, if that is at all possible? If it's a question of second-mode discernment, are they reviewing their spiritual experience to be attentive to any experiences of spiritual consolation or its opposite, spiritual desolation, and attentive to what attraction they feel in time of spiritual consolation, for example? Are there spaces of quiet built into the discernment? Uh, Is there attention to spiritual experience, which, as I just mentioned, is always important in Ignatian discernment, but is in its own way, particularly important in second-mode discernment, when we're looking for the pattern of attraction in time of spiritual consolation. And this, too, explains why Ignatius includes in his spiritual exercises a number of the spiritual means that he actually places there. One would be the review of a time of prayer with Scripture when it has concluded, and what we're looking for there in second-mode discernment are any experiences of spiritual consolation or desolation that may have been there in the time of prayer and the attraction that I may have felt in those times. The examine prayer, uh, and this is exactly where this comes into discernment. If Brian and Lisa, for example, let's say Brian is discerning this over a number of months, then Ignatius would invite him to pray the examine prayer daily this prayer of 8 to 10, 12, 15 minutes at the most, in which he reviews the spiritual experience of every day, throughout the hours of the day, maybe a busy working day, a time with the family, times of prayer, and again looking for experiences of consolation or desolation and attractions during those times. I know we had an earlier set of conversations about the examined prayer. Um, and then also spiritual direction, as I mentioned, so that we have a chance to talk out the experience and get the the help, the assistance of a person who has the background to help us see clearly uh, in what's happening in that experience. Now, a presupposition, as we've said earlier, of second-mode discernment is that we are learning something about discernment of spirits. Obviously, we can't be attentive to experiences of spiritual consolation or spiritual desolation if we don't know what those are and we don't know how to recognize those in our experience. As we said in an even earlier set of of, uh, conversations, learning to be aware of these experiences, to understand them, to be able to name them for spiritual consolation or desolation, and then to take action, to accept and drink in God's grace in time of spiritual consolation, and to reject the enemy's discouragements and lies in time of spiritual desolation. If I remember correctly, we went through that teaching on discernment of spirits in a series of 16 of these conferences. Um, Uh And I simply mention that number to indicate that much more needs to be said about it than we can possibly say in this setting where we're speaking specifically about discerning God's will in specific choices. But I would warmly invite anyone who is wondering, how can I learn more about second-mode discernment so that 
if God is calling me to discern that way, I'll be able to perceive that more clearly. I would warmly invite anyone with that question in, um, in mind to explore and learn more about discernment of spirits. That will open the door into second mode discernment with a new clarity. And then people like Richard, whom we mentioned the last time we spoke, who was deciding discerning between marriage and a call to the Jesuits, and every time he'd go before the altar to the Sacred Heart in the church would always feel spiritual consolation and the attraction to the Jesuits, until eventually he had enough clarity to know that this was God's will for him, via the call to the Jesuits. Or someone like Jessica, of whom we've just spoken, who feels over a number of years a consistent pattern of attraction toward religious life whenever she feels the closeness, the magnet, the, um, the, the warmth and uh, peace in the Lord. The question in second mode discernment would be then, is the pattern sufficiently clear? One spirit experience of spiritual consolation with an attraction toward, if it's Brian, medicine or toward finance does not yet conclude a second mode discernment. We need to see a, a sufficient pattern of this over enough time so that the person then has what Ignatius calls exactly sufficient clarity and understanding. Have I reached that in my discernment? This is where conversation with a competent spiritual guide is, is really invaluable. And that would be the final thing that I'd want to raise. Am I speaking with a person of spiritual competence? If I'm dealing with the discernment of, um, of some importance, then we can do nothing better than to have that kind of guidance. Father Gallagher, the question of how to know who is a good spiritual guide for us, I think is one that many of us struggle with. How do we know the person that we turn to is the one that God desires for us? I think the way we proceed in seeking that competent spiritual guide. For example, there is an office in the Archdiocese of Boston where I reside. The uh, Chancery has an office for spiritual development. They will field any questions of this kind. If, if a person calls there, the person in charge who is uh, a very accomplished spiritual director will be able to make references and refer this person to people who have the, the background to be competent spiritual directors around the archdiocese who may be available. And the same thing can be, can be said of approaching our own priest in the parish. If um, the priest himself is not able to do it because of lack of time and, com and uh, his commitments, we can always ask the priest if he could suggest any avenues that we might explore, any other persons that he knows could be good spiritual directors for us. One thing I think it's important to say, and that is that sometimes people will hesitate to ask, well, I'll stay with the example I've just given, um, my parish priest I might sense would be a very fine spiritual director, and I'd really like to ask him, but I hesitate because I have the sense that he seems so busy, and, and I don't want to burden him with my request. I don't want to be burdensome to him when he's already so, um, his time is so taken with so many commitments. We need never hesitate to ask. Uh, we actually honor a person when we make that request because it's an enormous act of trust uh, in the person so that we need never be afraid to ask. And the responsibility as to whether he has time or not is his and he'll know how to make his own decisions. Um, so I just w would want to put that into our conversation now that um, we should always feel the freedom to ask and then the decision will be made on the part of the one who, of whom we've asked this, and um, depending on the, the freedom that that person has to accept or, or, or not. 
Would you also say, Father Gallagher, that especially one who is beginning this journey in the spiritual life, that the opportunity for that good retreat and experiencing a guided retreat under a particular spiritual director, though they may not be the person who they end up eventually turning to, that those starting steps with that guide during that retreat can be very beneficial. It certainly can be very beneficial. We, we learn so much from retreats like that. And it may well be possible to sit down with the retreat director at some point during the retreat. And even a brief conversation in a one-on-one one -on -one setting like that in the course of a retreat can do an enormous amount of good. So certainly that's one of the many ways in which we, we widen the pool, as it were, of the experience and the, the various candidates, if I can use that word for uh, spiritual direction. And I, I think we could say the same thing really of joining groups in the parish or if there are different religious institutions or religious houses in our area where there are activities or faith formation sessions or training in the spiritual life or learning how to pray, groups and activities of this kind, all of those things are going to help us. The more formation we can get through any of these channels in the spiritual life, the further along our process of discernment is, is going to be. We'll return in just a moment to What Am I to Do? The Discernment of God's Will in Everyday Decisions with Father Timothy Gallagher. Hi, this is Chris McGregor of Discerning Hearts, which is a 501c3 fully tax-deductible nonprofit organization dedicated to evangelization and spiritual formation through the use of new media. Discerning Hearts creates engaging multimedia specializing in podcasts and radio broadcasts, faithful to the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church and its rich, authentic spiritual tradition. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, please consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible to support our efforts. We charge nothing for any of the programs that are available on Discerning Hearts, and our outreach is literally to the world. Please tell a friend about Discerning Hearts and either download our free apps which are available at iTunes and Google Play stores or visit discerninghearts.com. We now return to What Am I to Do? The Discernment of God's Will in Everyday Decisions with Father Timothy Gallagher. This would lead us then, Father Gallagher, to the third mode. Yes, that actually brings us now to the third and final of the modes that Ignatius outlines for us. And that is, if Brian is discerning between medicine and finance, and in the weeks or months of his prayer and his searching for God's will, God has not given him first mode clarity beyond doubting, an experience of prayer, or, or somewhere along the process, uh, an utter clarity that he simply can't doubt. Nor has God given him sufficient clarity and understanding through an attraction toward one or the other option in time of spiritual consolation so that he doesn't have second mode clarity. Then what? Well, then Ignatius says God is calling him to discern according to a third mode. I'll sum up this third mode as a preponderance of reasons. He, in another part of the spiritual diary where he records this experience, looks at the various factors, the various uh, advantages and disadvantages of the one option or the other. 
And it's very important to note that for Ignatius, these advantages and disadvantages are not simply in, in human terms, but these are advantages and disadvantages for God's greater glory. So that when Ignatius looks at his discernment between the mitigated and radical poverty, at a certain point he does this. He sits down before the Lord prayerfully and looks at all the advantages for God's greater glory in the more mitigated form of poverty and also the disadvantages for God's greater glory in the mitigated poverty and then does the same, the advantages and disadvantages for God's greater glory with regard to the radical poverty. And he looks at the advantages for God's greater glory in the mitigated form of poverty. He lists, for example, these, that if they have set revenues for the upkeep of the churches, the society will be better maintained. The members will not have to trouble others by begging as much since the revenue is already assured for the church and its upkeep. They'll be less exposed to anxiety or, or trouble of heart over the material upkeep of the churches and their various needs. The time that they would have spent for begging for these material needs will now be free for ministry. The churches that they have will be better maintained and so will foster greater devotion among the people. And he goes on through a list of a number of of advantages. Now, it's evident, isn't it, as we list these, that he is looking at advantages from the perspective of God's greater glory uh-huh. in this particular option. Right. Ignatius, however, at the same time, considers the disadvantages to the mitigated form of poverty. And basically, these come down to the fact that as poverty is a little less demanding, a little less radical, life gets correspondingly a little more comfortable. And some of the the fullness of zeal that a real radical poverty can generate will tend to be mitigated a bit so that the members will become a little less diligent in the willingness to help others apostolically as life gets just that little bit more more comfortable, a little less ready to go out on demanding journeys and endure hardships for the sake of serving others apostolically. And as their own poverty is mitigated to some degree, their witness of poverty is mitigated, and so there will be just a little bit less able to draw others to true poverty. And he continues. Again, it's evident that these are considerations of, in this case, disadvantages for one option, always from the perspective of what will serve for God's greater glory. Now, when Ignatius turns to the option of radical poverty and looks at the advantages for God's greater glory, if his Jesuits live that total and complete dependence upon God for material things. Here the list grows very long. Actually, Ignatius lists 17 reasons or or advantages that he can see for God's greater glory if the Jesuits live in a radical poverty. And I'll I'll just mention some of them. um, As the members, through living in radical poverty, imitate closely the life of Jesus himself, who lived in that kind of poverty himself, their spiritual strength will grow. If they live in radical poverty, they'll be less likely to be uh, attracted and held and bound by material things. A, A more radical poverty will lead to a more complete unity amongst them, where everything is completely held in common. If they live in total dependence upon God, their hope in God for everything, give us this day our daily bread, will become more real, more deep in their hearts. Living in that kind of poverty, they'll live humbly, and so more united with their Lord, who himself was humble. 
And this kind of poverty will give a more powerful witness to others, and others will more readily approach them for their ministry because it will be clear that they're not seeking any material benefit for themselves, and so on. The list, the list goes on. And then Ignatius also looks at the disadvantages of radical poverty, which are not very many. Now, by the time Ignatius goes through looking at the advantages and disadvantages for the mitigated poverty and then for the radical poverty, looking to see where the preponderance of reasons for God's greater glory lies, it is evident that the, the greater set of advantages for God's greater glory lie with the radical poverty. So that in this case, what Ignatius actually has is a clarity in his discernment that God wants the radical poverty both in second mode discernment, the attraction in time of spiritual consolation that's consistent, and in third mode discernment through looking at the advantages and disadvantages for God's greater glory of the one option and of the other. Now in the spiritual exercises, Ignatius describes this third mode of discernment at some length and we'll look um, rapidly at something of what he says. He, he calls this a time of tranquility. That third mode discernment takes place in a time of tranquility. And by that, what he means is that by contrast with first mode discernment, if we can think back to Anne and her experience in the chapel on the last morning of her retreat as a senior in high school, that powerful experience which enveloped her, swept her up, filled her with a deep sense of joy and certitude in the Lord. And also, by contrast, second mode discernment, in which there are experiences of consolation and desolation, the ups and downs in the spiritual life. Third mode discernment takes place and can only take place well when one is experiencing a time of tranquility. That is, a kind of spiritual calm in which the person is experiencing neither... The, the high, as it were, the, the, the joy the, uh, of spiritual consolation, nor the discouragement, the depth, as it were, of spiritual desolation, but is in a kind of spiritual calm or, or tranquility. Because this is the necessary presupposition for effectively reviewing the advantages and disadvantages for the one option or the other. So that when a person has not received first and not receive second mode clarity and discernment, and a person is now in a time of spiritual tranquility, a time of calm of heart, then Ignatius says is the time in which a person may helpfully consider the advantages and disadvantages for the one option and the other, seeking God's light in the discernment. Sometimes this third mode of discernment is called the method of the four columns, I think we can visualize Ignatius or any one of us, let's say Brian, sitting down in the quiet of his room or in a time of peace before the Blessed Sacrament, and maybe his notebook is open on his lap, and at the head of one page writing medicine, at the head of the corresponding page open finance, and then under each heading, two columns, advantages and disadvantages. And the way that Brian would proceed through a third mode discernment then would be prayerfully before the Lord to list and to jot them down as they occur to him, the various advantages and disadvantages that he can see for God's greater glory in the one option and the other. That's why sometimes it's called the method of the four columns. 
We have in one of the first biographies of St. Ignatius, written by one of his Jesuit companions who knew Ignatius well, Pedro de Ribanera, a description of how Ignatius himself proceeded in third mode discernment. And uh, Ribanera tells us that whenever St. Ignatius was faced with discernments of a great weight and importance, so these are the significant discernments that we've been talking about throughout this set of conversations. He said, this is the way Ignatius would proceed with one of these discernments. He would empty himself, he writes, of any passion or attachment which often confuse and obscure judgment so that it cannot discover as easily the radiance and light of the truth. In other words, Ignatius would wait for, would seek a time of tranquility, a time when his heart his mind, his being, were at peace. Because it's that kind of tranquility or that kind of peace only which allows us to see clear, clearly, to list and weigh and compare, look at the various factors involved. He would then also seek from the Lord the grace to be like clay in the potter's hand, um, literally like matter ready to take any shape in the hands of God our Lord. In other words, if this is Brian that he is completely available to the Lord to say yes to a call to stay in finance or a call to move into medicine. It's the disposition we've been speaking about since the beginning, whatever you want, Lord. But it's important, if we are going to undertake a third-mode discernment, that that disposition be really there in our hearts. Without that disposition, we're not yet ready for third-mode discernment, really for any discernment. Once Ignatius sensed that his heart really was in that disposition to say yes to either option according to what God would make known to him, then he would turn in prayer to the Lord, seeking the Lord's grace to discern well, and at that point would begin looking at the advantages and disadvantages of the two options or the method of the four columns if we want, until it would become apparent to him that one of the options truly seem to be for God's greater glory. Then finally, he would bring this before the Lord, seeking the Lord's confirmation in prayer that he really had seen well. So that, in, that really, in his own experience, uh, exemplifies what Ignatius will write in the spiritual exercises in presenting this mode of discernment to us. But I think we'll need to pick that up next time, Chris. Thank you very much, Father Gallagher. Thank you, Chris. You've been listening to What Am I to Do? The Discernment of God's Will in Everyday Decisions. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to support our efforts. But most of all, we ask that you tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for What Am I to Do? The Discernment of God's Will in Everyday Decisions with Father Timothy Gallagher.